Take your Bibles this morning, turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, please. 1 Peter chapter 4. We've been looking at stones, living stones. And we have outlined 1 Peter so that we might understand what each of the chapters reminds us of as it relates to us being these living stones. Chapter 1 talks about suffering, proving our faith. The genuineness of our faith happens as we live life and recognize that God is in control. Chapter 2 tells us to have a testimony like Christ. We are to follow in His steps. And even if that's pressure within our lives, we still are to look at Jesus Christ and recognize that He has given to us an example that we are to follow. Chapter 3 tells us that others are watching. As we memorize this morning, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart, King James. And be ready always to give an answer to everyone that asks you a reason that hope is in you with meekness and fear. Others are watching. This morning we are going to look at chapter 4 where it says nothing but God. Nothing else matters but God. And as we work our way through next month we're going to look at how leaders are to serve humbly, elders are to serve humbly, and then we're going to recognize that God does have a plan for our lives and that we are to stand firm. But as we look at nothing else but God, we understand something about the gospel. It's not about you, it's not about me, it's all about God, it's all about the gospel working its way in and through our lives and our living it out before a lost generation. Before a culture that doesn't understand who we are or why we do what we do. Who we are and why we do what we do is all about the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Our text this morning is the first six verses of chapter 4. You follow along in your copy of scripture this morning, please. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh... Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who were dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God it's all about the gospel. If you've done any traveling abroad, it doesn't take much to recognize that you're not in Kansas anymore. Many of the international airports now have armed policemen who walk about very visible to deal with any issues that may come their way. Connie and I last year got to travel to, to India and we were very, very quickly reminded that India was not Battle Creek. Our senses were assaulted. Sights and smells and sounds were all around us. 
that were foreign to us, that didn't make any sense. And as we were there, as American citizens, we had to live under their jurisdictions, knowing that we were just very temporarily being there. One of the first things we did when we uh, arrived was make a trip down to the police station. They wanted to check our passports. They wanted to know how long we would be in the city. They wanted to know why we were there and what we were going to be doing. And so Kyle and I sat in this police station that was different than any other police station I had ever been in. Now, I've not been in a lot of police stations, you understand. But we recognized that there was something different, and they took our passports away. And so we had no way to to justify why we were there or who we were. Now, they did return those to us. And they wanted to also make sure that we checked out of the country when we checked in the country. If you've been to any lines when you arrive in international flight, there's one for those who are domestically traveling and those who are international traveling, and you walk up and you get it stamped, huh? May I remind you that you and I are elect exiles? And may I remind you that no matter where we are, even here in Battle Creek, Calhounberry County, we're aliens. We are foreigners. And the culture around us and the way people live in this culture is going to assault the gospel in our lives. And the sights and the smells and the sounds of all of this racket around us many times will distract us. But we need to remember that this world isn't our home. Now, Peter has already identified how we are to live. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17, he tells us that we are to conduct ourselves in fear, knowing that we've not been redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. That's the gospel. As a lamb without blemish and without spot. In chapter 2, he reminds us that we are to abstain from passions. As elect exiles, we are to conduct ourselves in a way that is foreign to the culture. And here in chapter 4, it's all about the gospel. If you don't get anything else out of this message this morning, I want to give you a take-home truth. I want you to understand this. No matter where we are as elect exiles, as foreigners, we need to focus to fix our eyes on Jesus. Amen? It's not about checking boxes in our lives. It's not even about living the way others think we ought to live. It's about conforming ourselves to the character of Jesus Christ. He is the author and finisher of our faith, right? And he is the one who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen? So, no matter what we do in lives, the gospel tells us that we are to be more like Jesus. And so it's all about Jesus. This morning, I want to give you five tools that will help you be more like Jesus. That will help you 
as exiles that will help us as foreigners keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. Verse 1 in our text. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh. Now stop right there. What word did you see? Therefore. Since, therefore. Now that precedes chapter 3. How Christ has suffered, how he has died, the righteous for the unrighteous, the the just for the unjust, how he shed his precious blood in payment for our sins. After all he's done for me, after all he's done for me, how can I do less than give him my best and live for him completely, the chorus goes, after all he's done for me. Since, therefore, Christ has suffered, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. We cannot afford to be naive. We cannot afford to be unaware. We cannot afford to be comfortable in the culture in which we live. Now, I think it's interesting here. There are a lot of things that Peter could have said. He could have said, arm yourselves with the armor of the Spirit. Now, that's a good thing to arm ourselves with, right? Breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth, Feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, shield of faith, sword of the spirit. Which that's a good thing to arm ourselves. But he didn't say that. He could have say, arm yourselves with training and technique. Go to all the classes you can go to and learn how to give this defense. He didn't say that. He could have said, arm yourselves with religious activity. Get so involved in stuff that you don't have time to do anything else. He didn't say that. He said, arm yourself, and it's a military term. Be prepared. Learn how to be effective and efficient in this area. That's what they train you in the military to do, right? They teach you to be effective and efficient with the tools that they give to you. So arm yourselves, and what does he say here? He says, arm yourselves... With the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. It really is all about a mindset. A mindset which is in Jesus Christ. Now I won't take time this morning, but we could go to Philippians chapter 2 that says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. A mindset. We could go to Romans chapter 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We could go to Ephesians chapter 4, where we are told to, Put off the old man which is corrupt according to his deceitful lust. Be renewed in the spirit of our mind and put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Do you see how important it is that we have proper thinking so that we can have proper living? Writer of Proverbs says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You have heard me paraphrase that verse. You're not what you think you are, but what you think you are. And that's absolutely true. And so Peter here says, get it right, folks. Arm yourselves with proper 
thinking. And that proper thinking is to understand that whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, this is not talking about sinless perfection. This is not talking that we will have absolutely righteous lives if we suffer. This is not a poor little old me kind of thing. But this is an understanding that suffering is beneficial in our lives and God has a purpose. Aaron and I are team teaching right now in the Berean class. And we are talking about the, the benefits of suffering and evil in this, in this world. And God does have a purpose. A purpose for suffering. Let me give you three reasons God may use suffering in our lives. First of all, Christ suffered. Well, Christ suffered and we are to follow in his steps. Secondly, Christians are identified with the suffering of Christ. Right? Jesus said, in the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. And thirdly, Christ's likeness is part of the sanctification process, and that's part of suffering. And so we need to start understanding that God uses suffering to rub off some of the rough edges in our lives. I've got to tell you, I've learned more when I've been down than when I've been up. I've learned more when I've struggled than when I've been successful. I've learned more in the negative than I've learned in the positive. And so Peter says, arm yourself with this kind of understanding that there is a way that God is going to use this in your life. Now, since it's a mindset, how are we supposed to think about this? May I give you a few questions to ask yourself? Question number one, why am I here? <laughs> That's a legitimate question for the Christian, isn't it? Why am I here? Am I here to, to get everything and to, to have all of my needs met and to just enjoy? Good question to ask. Question number two, who's in control of my life? Is it God or is it me? There was a book written not too long ago, well, a long time ago, probably now. God is my co-pilot. You know the problem with that? God ought to be the pilot. <laughs> Who's in control? Question number three, what can I learn from this? God, what lessons are you trying to teach me? You know, when we're struggling, it's tough to look for lessons. And question number four, if Christ suffered, who am I to complain? Arm yourself. Get this mindset. Start practicing and become efficient in the understanding that God has a purpose for our lives no matter what we're going through. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what you're struggling with. But I can tell you this. God has a plan. God has a purpose. And that is to challenge you and change you and conform you to the character of Christ. And we said that a couple of times today. So the first tool that I want to give you is arm yourself. The second tool is this. Aim for the perfect will of God. Look at verse 2. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will 
of God. Now, I think it's interesting that Peter says, he's writing to elect exiles. Don't you as an elect exile live according to human passions? He'll flesh that out in just a minute. But he says, the mindset that we are to have, the mindset of Christians is to understand that it's all about the will of God in our lives. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Amen? I don't think all of you are convinced of that this morning. Huh? Why? Because our final goal is not what we have here, but who we will see over there. May I repeat that? Our final goal is not what we have here, but who we will see over there. You know this little chorus? It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of His dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. It's not about what we have here. It's about who we will see over there. And our aim is to practice the will of God for our life. You want an interesting study? Study that phrase, will of God, throughout the New Testament. And you will discover that it is pretty all-encompassing. And it begins with the gospel. First Peter, second Peter, I'm sorry, second Peter, chapter 3, verse 9 says, that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so it starts with the gospel in our lives. And this is the will of God. And that is our aim. Arm yourselves with the mindset of Christ. Make sure that you are aiming with the mindset of the will of God for our lives. And recognize that we have to arrest our passions. Verse 3. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Now, stop right there. The time suffices that Gentiles do something different than we do. Gentiles are unbelievers here. Gentiles have a different culture, a different mindset, a different focus than you and I have. Why? Because they've not come in contact with the gospel. And the gospel has not changed their lives. It's not done anything for them. They don't realize that Christ died for their sins according to the scriptures. They don't realize that by faith through grace they can have a relationship with God as a child of God. They don't realize that as that takes place there are new creatures in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I don't get that. 
what they get is they live in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. And what happens? They're surprised when you and I don't participate in that. <laughs> and what do they do? They malign us. Say, who do you think you are? Are you holier than I am? Are you a goody two-shoes? Are you trying to make me look bad? Unbelievers don't get any of that. And when you and I are not part of that, they make fun of us. And they don't get it. Because we're missing out on all the fun, right? We don't know what it is to live life. Oh, yes, we do, because we're alive. And we are alive in Christ Jesus. And so our mandate for Christian living is to understand that we are to avoid living in, and here's the list, sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking, idolatry. Now, we could look at each of those, but there's no reason to because that's not for us. What is for us is to recognize that the gospel has made a difference in our lives. I've asked you at other times, if you were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? What difference does the gospel of Jesus Christ make in your life? What difference does the gospel of Jesus Christ make in my life? It's all about the gospel. It's, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about who God is and what he did for us as he sent his son to die for us. And if that doesn't change us, nothing will. It's about the gospel. And the reality is that even those unbelievers are going to be accountable to God. Verse 5, for they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. There's more to come. It ain't over. And judgment is coming. Now, for believers, you and I who know Jesus Christ as personal Savior will one day stand before the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Not to determine whether our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, but to determine how faithful we were as good stewards of all that God has given to us. Just according to our works. Our salvation's already been settled. It was settled when Jesus Christ said, it is finished, and we trusted him as our personal Savior. Now for unbelievers, they will stand before the great white throne judgment. And one day, everyone will be judged, whether it's a believer at the judgment seat of Christ or an unbeliever at the great white throne. 
And at the great white throne, books will be opened. And unbelievers will be judged out of those books. And then the scripture says that whosoever is not written in the Lamb's book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. The ultimate destination for those who reject Jesus Christ as personal Savior. See, it's about the gospel. It's about the gospel. And what difference that makes in our lives. And so what's our focus? The gospel. The last tool is to recognize it's all about the gospel. The main thing is the main thing. Verse 6. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who were dead. Now stop right there. Does that mean that there is some kind of purgatory where the gospel... No. What that means is that each one of us before the gospel was dead in its trespasses and sins. Preached to us who had no life in him, who had no ability to relate to God. Preached to us who were sinners condemned. Preached to us who needed to know that God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Preached to us the good news, that's gospel. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he buried and rose again a third day according to the scriptures. Amen? That's, that's the gospel. And you and I need to keep the main thing, the main thing. It's all about the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Why was the gospel preached? The gospel was preached so that dead people can live. Hmm? The gospel was preached so that living people may have purpose. And the gospel was preached so that spirit-filled people may have victory. Look with me at verse 6. They might live in the spirit the way God does. Underline that in your Bibles. That's victory. Victory in Jesus. All about the gospel. Galatians chapter 5 tells us to walk in the spirit. That we might not fulfill or gratify the desires of the flesh. The tools of the Christian life revolve around Christ. Not the Christian life. Because it is Christ who is the gospel. And it is Christ who makes a difference in our lives. Connie and I had a great time on vacation. We enjoyed being on the 15th floor overlooking the Atlantic Ocean, sun rising about 7, 10 in the morning, getting up every morning, standing on the balcony and watching the sunrise break through with the illumination of the wonder of God. 
our son and daughter-in-law met us in Myrtle Beach. So we got to spend eight days with Josh and Rachel and Parker and Avery. And Josh and I got to do some golfing together. You know, it's amazing what you can talk about for four hours in a golf cart. And I got to tell you, our talk was a whole lot better than our game. After the first day, I had lost all the balls that I could afford to lose. Josh is uh, a millennial. He was born in 85. So that makes him 32. Did I do my wrath right? And he says to me, hey, Dad. Why is it that uh, when we were growing up, you wouldn't let us go to movies? And hey, Dad, why was it that uh, when we were growing up, we had to meet all of these expectations? Got any answers for those kinds of questions? I said, well, Josh... Part of it is things were different back then than they are today. I mean, look at parenting today. I cannot remember one time that I got up with our kids at night. Did I, Connie? I couldn't remember a time. You don't remember a time. Must not have been a time. Because if I'd have done it, you'd have remembered it. And yet Josh does that all the time with his kids. I can't remember a time when I necessarily set aside my schedule to help with the kids to give Connie some kind of freedom. There may have been some times she went out and I stayed at home, but I made sure it was nap time with the kids. I figured that was just good administration and planning. Things are just different, just, just different, not, not better, not worse, just, just different. But as we talk through this, my question came to him is, Josh, what is it that makes a difference in our lives? I mean, lay aside all the stuff. Lay aside all the boxes that we fundamentalists try to check in our lives. Lay aside all the rules and regulations. What is it makes a difference in our lives? I don't know, Dad, what? I can answer that question. It's the gospel. It's Jesus Christ. It's the recognizing that he suffered and he bled and he died for me. And that nothing will ever separate me from his love. And that his grace is sufficient. And that his mercy is everlasting. And it's not about who I am here. It's about who he is over there. And that's the difference. And it's all about 